Welcome to our Sunday service. For those here in person, we're at the Yogananda Amphitheater in Ananda Village. And for all those watching online, you get to actually chant out loud and pray out loud. Good for you. So my name is Nayaswami Pranaba, and this is Nayaswami Parvati, and it's a joy to be with you. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, which is a book of commentaries with on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita, weekly commentaries. And this week's topic isn't so hard to verbalize, is hard to verbalize and easy to read. Self-reliance versus self-reliance. So read it when you get the chance. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week we considered the need for attunement with God, with the gurus, with the wisdom of others, until we make that wisdom our own. There is a strong and in fact valid belief nowadays in the need for standing on one's own feet rather than depending weakly on others to carry us by their strength. Swami Krenanda was once asked, What is the best yoga posture? That one, he replied, which sets you squarely on your own two feet. Our strength must come from within. If that strength comes from the ego, however, instead of from soul consciousness, it is like a guitar string without its sounding board. The notes it emits will be thin and feeble. Our strength must come from within, but must be coupled with recognition of our inner link with broader and higher realities. The Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, Everyone in this world whose life is glorious or prosperous or powerful, know that his achievement is but a little spark from the great sun of my effulence. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, emphasized also the power of attunement with his own consciousness as a ray of the divine. For this ray had descended already through him in response to their devotion. It was a sign that God was already listening to them with receptive attention and did not require to be wooed in that way any longer. In the passage preceding the one that we read last week, from the Bible, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, but it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. This was the meaning of Paramahansa Yogananda's counsel also, when speaking more intimately to the disciples of the need for attunement with him. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Also, would like to welcome you all. It's great to see everyone and to be here together and to welcome everyone who's watching from anywhere online. 
This is from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's beautiful book of prayer demands. I want to hear thy song in the silence of my soul. Thy gentle voice saying, come home, I often heard, but through many lives it was drowned in the tumult of my wild cravings. I have forsaken the jostling crowds of desire. In the solitude of my mind, my devotion bursts to hear thy voice. Take away every dream memory of earthly sounds that yet lurks in my mind. I want to hear thy still voice ever singing in the silence of my soul. I wanted to share with you a little story that uh, I've found inspiring, and it's uh, someone I was thinking about this last week because of the situation that we're in with the uh, epidemic and pandemic and the virus, and that is uh, Dr. Larry Brilliant. And uh, he was a disciple, eventually, of uh, Nimkarli Baba Maharaji in India at the same time that uh, uh, Ramdas was there as well, the American Ramdas. And Larry Brilliant was a very active hippie. He was part of the civil rights movement. He was political, left-wing, demonstrating. He was part of a medical thing that was also left-wing. He was just very active and uh, then ended up in India. He and his little group, which included his wife and Wavy Gravy, went to India with the purpose, I believe I remember, of going to Bangladesh and helping to feed people there. Well, once they got to India, they realized that the Indian government was not going to let them get anywhere near Bangladesh. I mean, it was a big political problem and everything that was happening there. So by and by, they ended up at Maharaji's ashram, Nimkarli Baba, which is on the way to Baba Diraniket and Babaji's cave. It's up in that area northeast uh, of Delhi. And so they were there, and then he went off, but his wife uh, really loved Maharaji and uh, stayed at the ashram and was really getting into the whole scene there and understood who Maharaji was, a very great soul. But uh, Larry Brilliant couldn't relate to it all. I think he was probably pretty rajasic at that point, and yet he wanted something more. And so um, she kept saying, come, come, just spend some time here. And so he came, and this was probably around 1972 or so. And so he ended up at the ashram at Kainchi, and uh, he stayed there for eight days. And the whole time that he was there, Everybody was dressed in white and bowing at Maharaji's feet, and Maharaji was entertaining everybody and relating to them and completely ignoring Larry Brilliant. And so day by day, he spent eight days like this. Each day, he thought, 
what am I doing here? I really don't relate to all these Westerners, and it just feels creepy, and they're bowing down at this man's feet. He's big, fat, and I don't understand any of this, you know. So he, by the end of the eighth, by the eighth day, was pretty fed up and going to leave. He felt bad. His wife felt bad. Um, They would be splitting up, but he just couldn't get into it. And so the day before he was going to leave, he he didn't go to the satsang that day. And he ended up um, going to a nearby lake and just really was miserable. He was just saying, what on earth is my life about? I just can't relate to this, and yet all these people that I respect are there. And so I, I just don't know what to do. And he was so desperate that he said himself, I actually prayed. <laughs> he, never, he never had done anything like that before. And, uh, and nothing, nothing came. And so the next day in the morning, uh, he and his wife went early to the satsang. And his, in his mind, he was just going to say all this to Maharaji and, and then leave. And, uh, you know, in other words, I, I don't understand this, what, who you are and why all these people are doing all of this and then leave. And so they were sitting there. They went early, and the little tucket where Maharaji would sit was empty. He wasn't there, and nobody else was there, just he and his wife. And so he was sitting there right in front, and uh, he noticed that someone had left a piece of fruit on the tucket, and it had rolled off onto the ground. And so he just casually leaned over to pick up the piece of fruit, and instantly Maharaji was there. And he stepped on his hand. <laughs> and, and Larry Brilliant said, there I was. And he pinned him there. He, wouldn't, he didn't let up. And uh, uh, Larry Brilliant said, there I was in the very position I thought was disgusting, bowing at this man's feet. <laughs> and, and then Maharaji, and all of this is through an interpreter. He didn't speak English. Maharaji got really close to him and he said, so... You went to the lake yesterday. Did you go swimming? No. Did you go boating? No. Did you talk to God? Did you? And, and Larry Brilliant in his own autobiography is saying, my mind was just reeling. He knew all of this. No, nobody knew any of this, even his wife. And then he said, did you ask God for something? And he said at that point, he just opened up. Somehow that conversation, even though it wasn't very long, just went into his heart and opened him. And he just started weeping. And, and then by the time he, that happened, all the other people were coming who he had looked at as just, you know, weird people, Westerners in white, and that was so ridiculous. And he realized that all of them had been through the same thing that he just went through in their own unique way. But they all had had to have their hearts open, basically. And so from that point on, he was, he was with Maharaji. He and his wife stayed together, and, and he was there. And so they would go to the satsangs. I don't know exactly how the format was, but anyway, Maharaji um, started really noticing him. And uh, he said, uh, 
so, uh, Dr. Dr. America. That's what he started calling him, Dr. America. And, uh, and he said, so how much money do you have? And, uh, and he thought, uh-oh. You know, and so he said, I've got $500. And, and he said, oh, you're no doctor. <laughs> you're no doctor. And then he said, how much money do you have in America? He said, well, I have another 500 But Maharaji, I, I have a lot of debt from medical school. And Maharaji just kept right on moving. He said, you know doctor, U-N-O doctor. And what he was really, it got mixed up in the translation. What he was really saying to him is, United Nations Organization doctor. That's what I want you to do. And so finally, when that got a little more clear, then he said, you need to, you need to go and work for the United Nations. And you're going to give vaccinations and you're going to help eradicate he didn't use the word eradicate at that point, but you're going to help us with smallpox, the smallpox program. And so Larry Brilliant just, you know, was like, okay, you know, and he, w- he was into it, but it wasn't an easy thing. And so um, he had already gone to the United Nations WHO, WHO office, and casually inquired about being hired by them. And they said, no, we don't hire American doctors, and you're not qualified, and you know they only hired experts. And so he just let that go. But then Maharaji brought it up. And so, and after he asked him, have you got your job yet? Every time you'd see him, he'd ask, Dr. America, have you got your job yet? And, and he'd say, no, Maharaji, I haven't. You know, he'd try to drop the subject. And then finally, Maharaji said, you need to go to Delhi and apply for a job there. And so he did. He was, he was trying to really be a good disciple at this point. And so he and his wife made the journey. Now, this is the early 70s. Anybody who's traveled in India know travel is not easy, period. So you get on the rickshaw, you go to the bus, you go to the train, you end up in Delhi, and then you come back the same way. It took all day, you know. And so he went and he went, and I believe maybe they stayed overnight, but he said they went to the Barmans, which were a couple that were devotees of Maharaji, and uh, he borrowed Barman's suit. He didn't have clothes to wear to apply for a job, so he borrowed his suit. He pulled his hair back in a ponytail, tucked it under the collar of his white shirt, bought a terrible-looking tie, and he said, I looked ridiculous, but... I was trying to look normal, you know. So anyway, he went to the office, and um, uh, they said, no, you know, you, you can try to apply, but you're not qualified. You're not an epidemiologist. You don't have any credentials, um, and we're not hiring Americans. He said this same process, and then they went back, and he told Maharaji, did you get the job? No, Maharaji. And so that went on for months, and he said, my wife and I made probably 10 trips to Delhi and back in that way. Same scene every time. And then finally, the woman, and he was also very, Larry Brilliant, very um, upfront about why are you applying for this job? And he said, my guru told me to. He said I would give vaccinations and help with smallpox program. And they just looked at him like, really, you know. Anyway, but um, 
so finally, the woman who really liked him, he was very um, upfront about who he was and all of that. And she said, you know, there is a position that uh, you may be able to get. She said, can you write? And he said, yeah, I can write, sure, why not? And uh, so she ended up hiring him as administrative assistant. And so that worked. He could be hired as that. He wasn't a doctor. He was just working in the office. And as that progressed, so he got hired. And so he said that period of time was very interesting because during the week, he would work at Who in Delhi. On the weekends, they would go back to the ashram and spend time with Maharaji, which is where they really wanted to be. And so Maharaji was very um, aware of what uh, was happening with that smallpox program and what wasn't happening. And so um, at one point he said, after I had been there, and, and just to say, nobody in the UN, nobody in India was interested in activating this smallpox program because they didn't think it was possible to eradicate smallpox in India, which was the goal of the UN at that time. They had done that in every other country of the world except four, and one of them was India. And India in particular, probably because of the caste system, of the villages, of the amount of people, they just said, no way, it will never happen. But three months into his job, he uh, said, we ha I had a three-hour-long conversation with Maharaji about smallpox. And he said he knew everything about that disease. He said he knew where it was located, where the bad epidemics work, were, where the, where the seasons were, what the transmission cycle was, what places we would have trouble with. He said he knew everything epidemiologically about smallpox. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Um, uh, Larry Brilliant said, okay, you know all of that. Will smallpox be eradicated? And this was his answer, Maharaji's. He said, smallpox will be eradicated. This is God's gift to mankind because of the hard work of dedicated medical scientists. And that was how they got into, eventually, into all the villages. Maharaji, you see, was well-known, and his word, when he said something like that, it came true. And so he said what happened is that people were starting to be sent out, the vaccinations were starting to happen, you know, but still people didn't have a lot of hope. But Finally, at the very end, because they couldn't send him out as a doctor, he wasn't hired as a doctor, that um, uh, the Russian doctors that were supposed to come were delayed. And so they sent him and his wife out to this very remote area uh, where uh, they wanted them to start the program there. And he said this was how it worked, that we would go, we would drive up in our Jeep. We had a big picture of Maharaji on the dashboard. And we would go and talk to the civil surgeon for that region. Now, this is somebody responsible for a whole area of what's going on uh, medically. 
and the man would they would lay out the program smallpox vaccinations what they wanted to do and the man would say you know i'm very busy i really don't have time for this we have other issues we're dealing with and we really i can't take this on and then because indians are polite he would walk them back to their jeep and then he would see the big photo of maharaji and cuz these are two westerners remember and he'd say who's that and why is that picture there and larry brilliant would say oh that's my guru and he told me that smallpox will be a rat- that's nimkarli baba and he told me that smallpox will be eradicated in india because of the good hard work of dedicated uh, medical scientists and then there would be a pause and then the man would say why don't you come back to my office and let's have tea and talk about this program <laughs> and he said that and the reason i'm telling this story is that it's about the vine it's about the branches and it's about larry brilliant was very upfront about where his energy and knowledge and all of that was coming from and so maharaji was able to work through him and move out into india in all these areas he said that started a ongoing uh thing that i just described about the surgeon that happened he said repeatedly that people came uh he, they went places no oh maharaji said that oh okay well let's and that he then would take the program the plan back to maharaji at the ashram and maharaji would outline what the plan should be how to do it and then he would take it back to the un and they would implement and they he knew how to deal with people he knew how to regard how to um make it work in india so anyway it just was fascinating to me because all the steps along the way once larry brilliant got who maharaji was and the power that was there he used that as a disciple because he didn't have any standing he wasn't an epidemiologist he was a, barely a doctor and and yet that energy was able to move through and go out into india by the time they started really the big program a big push it was after maharaji had passed but it was in the beginning of 1974 and he said 2 years later smallpox with a tremendous effort i think he said there were 400 medical people out in the field and thousands of others helping but 2 years later smallpox was eradicated in india that was just mind boggling nobody thought it could ever happen and then that it happened so quickly but it gained momentum because people started believing in it they knew if maharaji had said that it could happen and he said the spirit among the people that were in the smallpox program was totally different from the other programs that they were doing medically and so the people were inspired they knew it could work and it therefore it did work so i just found that very inspiring that he um was able to turn that way and to really move energy so dynamically with maharaji right there behind him just telling him how to how to make it work how to how to deal with it all and then i thought and then we're we're in 
our situation, not with just an epidemic. That was just smallpox in India. We're in a pandemic for the entire world. And so, you know, what does that mean for all of us? I think, you know, we're still in very beginning times with all of this. And I was thinking that it feels like a giant pause before another energy starts to happen. And I was more thinking about for all of us that it's a golden opportunity and not easy. These times, these things are never easy to do, but they're golden opportunities to really dive deep for us before things start to move again and we're all scrambling to do whatever. We don't know exactly what that will look like. But for all of us to really focus on attunement, devotion, and divine love, because those are the things that will, they will ground you and the practice of Kriya Yoga, because those are the things that, no matter how crazy it gets, those are the things that will ground you. You know, it can be swirling, and it, in fact it is right now, swirling around us, but we're, we're somewhat a distanced from that and trying very hard not to have that pen, that virus come into this community. So, but, as, but for us, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity really to uh, focus in that way. And I would recommend also, uh, Swami Kriyananda wrote a little booklet that became a book called Religion in the New Age. And it's actually very interesting to take a look at that because it also gives you maybe ideas or thoughts about what can happen uh, as we move into an age of energy. You know, we're not, we're in it, and yet the consciousness of people isn't quite there yet. So, um, but just a couple of things that I wanted to mention uh, that Swami talks about in that uh, little booklet is trends. What does it look like as we move into uh, Dwapara Yuga and an age of energy, meaning the energy is conscious, the energy is dynamic, and it's magnetic. But he said there's three trends that he could see at that time. So this was a while ago. He said a move toward simplicity, meaning that we don't feel like we've got to know all the information about something, but that we can understand that the energy has consciousness and is able to, if the energy of a, of a thing is right, then that can open up a lot as we move forward into something. Also, a renewed emphasis on the individual, really what we're doing here, and simplicity as well, what we're doing here. But uh, uh, emphasis on the individual, meaning who am I? How, how do I relate? What is, what is the meaning of my life? And who am I really inside exploring that inner reality? Which again, we, we all are doing through self-realization, looking at that, meditating, uh, discriminating, looking inside more. And then the last one was an increasing demand for quality over quantity. Right now we still have the idea that uh, 
that uh, quantity makes something better. If it's bigger, it's better. But that, and again, it's a it's a slow shifting of consciousness that allows that to come into focus where you realize, oh, no, it's not about how much. It's about the quality of what you actually have. And so just thinking about those things and and about the fact that both Master and Swami, Master Paramahansa Yogananda and Swami Kriyananda talked a lot about just what we're entering into right now. And just to keep in mind, as it said in the reading about discrimination, to keep in mind that larger reality, that larger perspective. Boy, things are crazy. Maybe it shouldn't be that way. No, no. This is what it looks like when you transition from one huge consciousness, 2,400 years of Kali Yuga, into a new consciousness. It takes time, and we have to remember that it's in process. As much as we are able to attune to that consciousness, then we help that along, we help that to happen. And that's why I mention religion in the New Age and these ideas that Swami put out about trends that will start to happen so that we're all putting our energy behind it. That was what happened with the smallpox epidemic. And the reason the program worked so well was people, oh, okay, we can actually all do this. And, uh, and for us in this time, even though what we're looking at, we don't know all of the answers yet, <laughs> and that will unfold, but that we can really look to uh, being more deeply attuned and really looking at uh, solutions, being positive, and looking for, as we move along, where those solutions are coming out, where they're already happening with people around us. So anyway, those were just a few thoughts. And and to keep in mind uh, that in that larger reality, that this is why we have five avatars for gurus, is because it's needed in this time. It's a, it's a big shift. It's a big energy that's trying to happen. And so they're there to support all of us and anyone who tunes into the light and wants to move more in that direction. So I thought I would close with, this is something that um, someone gave me, and I don't, it feels like it's, it's from Master, and it feels like it's from a, out of a letter or something, but it kind of applied to uh, where we're at right now in, in our lives. And this is on stationery from the office of Paramhansa Yogananda. I don't remember where I got it. It says 1952. You all will have lots of troubles when I'm gone. But when you think of me, I will be there. And you will see that everything runs smooth. If you knew what you all are doing, this work nobody can stop. It is just the greatest thing that has ever come to this earth. God is holding it in his hands and wouldn't let anything hurt you all hurt you all that I am training. Just stay in tune, and when there is trouble, get more in tune. There has to be persecution, 
but I don't want you all to be afraid. Jai Guru.